Welcome to Disambiguation. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. Each week, we interview experts in AI, generative AI, and business automation to help business leaders understand how to use these tools for the biggest business impact. In our show today, we look at the use of generative AI in life sciences. I'm joined by Michelle Wu, CEO and co-founder of Nyquist AI. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Could you uh, could you give us a quick introduction and talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at, uh, at Nyquist AI? Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Nyquist AI and a uh, big nerd. All my life has been in life science. And um, how I came up uh, with the idea of Nyquist AI is through my uh, real life experience. I was the youngest global strategy manager at Novartis and worked on the first, the very first and uh, so far, the only asset swap deal in the history of pharma, like three-way merger and acquisition among portfolio of GSK, Eli Lilly, and Novartis, which is a lot of data. And yeah. <laughs> after burning so many uh, late-night oils and banging my head against the wall and calling my uh, expert friends, like, what does this document mean or what does this clinical trial report mean? And that, I thought like, wow, there should be an easier way to um, analyze, uh, like first aggregate all the useful information in life science and then make sense of uh, those data and, um, you know, make actions and decisions out of this data uh, in a much uh, like painless way. So uh, that's uh, how I came up with uh, the idea of Nyquist AI. And uh, so our company aggregates uh, all the global clinical trial, regulatory documents, uh, post-market surveillance, like the adverse event data from around the world. Um, we are approaching our third year anniversary and uh, we have built the largest uh, um, training set globally from clinical trials in the US, in China, in Japan, around the world. So. What it really solves is the pain point of researching for this data because when you make decisions on clinical trial or product launch for mm -hmm. any medicine or any medical device, you can never be sure that you got all the information and you're making the right decision, especially the market is moving so fast and now it's uh, uh, the very first time people have a reliable solution they can rely on. Hmm. So, so I mean, th that sounds great. The the data itself, obviously, a big part of the problem because there's so much of it, and it comes from different places. Yeah. Uh, but I know in your platform, you have been using generative AI to help, you know, pull all that together and make some sense out of it, so that uh, so that companies can make good decisions. So, can you talk about that a little bit? How does the how does the platform use generative AI uh, to to help with that decision process? Sure, that's a great question. So I will break it down into two parts. And first, why in life science and generative AI is so popular and uh, both the tech world and the industry is so are so excited about generative AI. And second is like how we leverage generative AI to, to build that. So what differentiates generative AI from every uh, terms that we heard before, like AI, deep learning, machine learning, is that for the very first time, generative AI will be able to provide much more richer content than before. And uh, previously for a clinical trial, um, uh, traditional AI could answer the question, is the patient dead or alive? 
but generative AI can provide all oh, the patients much richer content, like the patient is alive, the vitals increased XYZ, blah, blah, blah. And the generative AI is extremely good at coming up or uh, optimized result with a lot of competing priorities for clinical trial and for any like uh, commercial, like product launch, global product launch for medicine and the devices. Um, there's a lot of competing priorities. Companies want to save the patients, but they also want to make money. They also want to cut the timeline shorter. So how can you ensure uh, as a manufacturer, as a uh, big pharma and medical device companies, how can they ensure that the, the, the products they push on the market are doing the right thing and not hurting the patient? So uh, generative AI is extremely good at solving such problems, like uh, come up with optimized solutions uh, with a lot of competing priorities. So there are, uh, as for us, how we have been leveraging generative AI is tied to your first question, like what do we do and uh, what differentiates us? We have built the largest uh, uh, global training set of all the clinical data and uh, regulatory data. Data scraping is no joke, and especially when it comes to translation for biomedical information from Chinese, Japanese, and German to English, vice versa. So with that rich uh, data, we're like sitting on gold mine. We fine-tuned our algorithm. So our generative AI is um, fine-tuned, dedicated to, to life science, like biopharma and medical device. So compare with other generative AI algorithm, they are like a smart student with a bachelor degree in English literature. They can, uh, if you have a conversation with them, they can have a very interesting conversation with you. Hmm. But uh, if you ask them to, you know, summarize a medical paper, for example, you give a, a medical paper to of, uh, open heart surgery, to mm -hmm. um, like uh, students in English literature, um, even though they understand every bit of English, they may not understand what this paper means. So that's our fine-tuned algorithm. Uh, our fine-tuned algorithm is like a smart student, but with MD and PhD, and really mm -hmm. understand biology and uh, medicine and uh, and other like. Uh, um, industry domain expertise. So what they can do is first the medical writing. Um, every company is required by law and regulation to keep up monitoring the clinical mm. trials. Then part of it is done medical writing. Uh, one project could potentially take up $1 million and six months to nine months to finish. Mm. Literally, you need very smart uh, people uh, with MD and PhD and manually read this paper and summarize this paper for you. And what our generative AI can do, Nyquist AI can do, is to give you a recommendation, whether this that we very quickly read the medical paper, summarize for you, and can answer questions based on this paper. And uh, we can, uh, that saves, and we can also make recommendations whether in your research you should include this medical paper mm -hmm. or not. That save at least 50, if not, 90% of the time, which is a huge time save. Yeah, that is. Wow. Reduces the burden, uh, like economic burden for manufacturers and hence the patients. Mm. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's the it's this shift, um, you know, in decision processes that we've had these expert systems for years that are AI based, but they're very rules based. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying now, the shift in, in with the generative AI approach is it can actually take that data that you've collected and project out from that or generate content out from that, that actually summarizes, gives you a better view of it. And it's not constrained by the rules that actually then interprets whatever the data is that you fed it. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so can, can you talk a little bit about um, maybe some examples of some of the customers like who have used it, uh, you know, maybe in R and D or commercialization or, or even regulatory compliance, because it sounds like that's obviously a big part of the industry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's a that's a great question. So we have seen adoption across the value chain from like uh, preclinical all the way to commercial and post market surveillance. Because once that it's not like uh, um, life science is so unique from other industries, and uh, uh, once you launch the product, say a consumer product on the market, you may not need to require to monitor it much, but mm -hmm. As long as the product is still on the market, the company are required by law to monitor them. So there's a lot of work going to that aspect as well. For clinical, um, we have, because we have the largest training set, one of the largest ophthalmology public company leverage our data to find, uh, uh, recommend uh, prior art, uh, which we call predicate to help them accelerate the innovation and clinical trial for uh, their global launch. Previously, so they need to, before they run a clinical trial, they need to uh, understand what's the benchmark and what's the predicate, like prior art, what mm -hmm. uh, basically what other people have done in this field. And uh, it's a very niche market is that uh, have to do with uh, children's uh, eyesight. I love children. And so it's, uh, this part is very near dear to my heart. Uh, I'm very lucky with perfect vision, but I have a lot of friends whose kids are just, they're so adorable, but they have wearing thick glasses. Mm -hmm. And there is medical technologies to, uh, to help with this treatment. So um, it's a very, very interesting and very noble uh, project, uh, very dear, near to my heart. The challenge is that uh, the company has to come to research so many countries and to see what has been done in the past. And uh, it's not uh, it is not known to them that what's the brand, what's the manufacturers, they have to go from the very fundamental, like what's the uh, medical issue and what's the, basically what's the indication, what's the technology. And they have, um, hired three global law firms to do that. And just after six months, you know, like they pay by bearable hours. <laughs> They're yeah. like, oh, we couldn't find uh, uh, existing solutions for the Asia Pacific market. And then yeah. out of serendipity, we got introduced to the, uh, the uh, VP of clinical trial. And uh, he looked into our system within 20 minutes, he yeah. finds the perfect predicate for China and Japan, other Asia mm. Pacific countries. So mm. that's a, a, a huge uh, time save, let yeah. alone like, a, you know, advancement for the use case for clinical trials. Yeah. And uh, I, mm -hmm, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that's such a good example of why 
the industry vertical focus really does add that additional value to the solution. I think, you know, we've, we've kind of, this year we spent ex exploring all the uses of generative AI sort of in a generic way across all the functions. And now it seems like the real value, and just like you said, I mean, you're accelerating decision-making, you're, you're giving them access to data in 20 minutes that they couldn't find in six months. I mean, that's, that's incredible value. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to this idea that next year that's going to really be the focus for a lot of companies. To, to what what's the vertical focus of a of a product, the platform that can really deliver value? That 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 makes a ton of sense. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, like, uh, um, I don't know what I don't know, <laughs> and I'm big nerd. Like uh, since my very first job, yeah. I've been in life science. I just constantly uh, realize how different the life science industry is uh, compared with say, uh, consumer goods or TMT. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and there's, there's vertical use cases in every one that I could see give, you know, that deliver a lot of value, but in, in an industry that's extremely, uh, regulated. And then, like you said, they have that downstream responsibility to continue to monitor and invest, uh, in ways that a lot of product companies wouldn't necessarily have to do, right? I mean, if it's if it's broken, they have to fix it, but that's not the same thing as this continuous um, focus on the product and what the product's doing in the marketplace. So that's that's a, a very different use case. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and across the life cycles of uh, uh, life science product, like uh, medicine, drug, device, mm -hmm. uh, we've seen like, uh, for example, for competitive landscape, previously, uh, again, you need a uh, very smart MD and PhD to read through all the papers and decide, oh, is this product my competitor or not? But with generative AI, um, we can very quickly sift through uh, tens of PDFs, like uh, the labeling, the medical labeling, which is like mm. a dictionary crumbled into a piece of paper. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, um, that has been a huge time save as well. Uh, mm. as for regulation, which you, you mentioned, uh, uh it's everywhere. And, uh, the FDA Europe guidance, is, uh, are, uh, tremendous value and knowledge. And, uh, they are, more than 3,000 guidelines, uh, guidance, <laughs> and, uh, and it continued yeah. to, to roll out. And uh, so first, uh, um, no human experts can have knowledge of mm. every, every regulation. And second, yeah. for young people or young generation or new, newcomers coming to this field, it will be so hard for them to decipher those regulations, mm. especially some of the regulations are competing like contradicting each other. So yeah. what generative AI can do is like give you, is like a smart AI assistant or mm. AI, in our case, a AI scientist who have all the knowledge and help you to decipher what's the, what does it mean? What has changed and uh, uh, any impacts for your business? Mm. And I mean, most of these companies are global. And <clears throat> so I would imagine there's a great deal, <clears throat> deal of variability in the regulations across, you know, those different geographies, countries, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of this relies on the data and <clears throat> the data you collect, the accuracy of the data, that sort of thing. So can we talk a little bit about that process? I mean, how... 
how do you collect the data and then how do you ensure the accuracy the quality of the data mm -hmm. that you're um, that you're you know that you're using yeah so that's a great question and uh, data scraping is no joke so i just give you a fun anecdote like uh, we have insights into the chinese market which is the second largest economy and uh, uh given the geopolitical tension if the ip address uh, uh, is from the us or other countries uh, it depends on the day you visit the chinese fda website sometimes you cannot even refresh the website <laughs> so uh it's a it's a it's a very long process uh so we have built first uh top-notch engineers around the world and second we have a global advisory board who we do need not only industry expertise, but also uh, country specific expertise to really understand like, you know, what, what is happening. And because sometimes what you read on the policy could be quite different from the actual implementation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have our, we build our proprietary AI clean, uh, cleaning and uh, uh, process. We clean the data and then uh, we have a human expert team to sample test the data to make sure the data is accurate, the data is correct. And uh, then we build our knowledge graph to really connect the dots. So hemodialysis means dialysis. Uh, mm. Say um, adolescents under the age of 14 means that pediatric use and then baby, infant, mm. all those synopsis and uh, yeah. contexts are connected. Uh, last but not least, uh, when we design the product, every data point can be traced to the original documents and the original context. So whenever in doubt, uh, users can always go back to check the original source. Mm. So, so there's a good bit of human in the loop then from the quality perspective, at least, because of all the different types of expertise you require? Yeah, yes, yes. Human involvement, expert uh, expert feedback loop is very important. This is quite different from uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT. When they were started out, they they uh, outsourced it to, I heard, from uh, to Africa and to leverage the cheap laborers to do the do the human intervention uh, for for a conversational tool that's excellent. But for life science solutions, you do need the expertise. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, it's almost like the, the you know the term grounding obviously means a lot of things in AI, but it's almost that it's almost very specific to the industry too. The fact that you require all of these different experts to be able to interpret and make sure that the quality of the data meets the standards that you're trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. We also constantly contact the local regulatory bodies, the authorities like the US FDA. Europe, uh, EMA, and uh, and to get their feedback, and uh, it's uh, we are also like uh, have a lot of uh, posters. <laughs> Again, a very nerdy and academic team, uh, very research focused. So we have posters, publications to continue to leverage the community and build the community forward to build the hybrid community who who are experts in life science but also understand and embrace technology. Mm. So, so I know 
um, for example, one of the areas that I've read about and I hear is very complex is this um, area around clinical trial design. So I'm curious, how, you know, how using your platform, how does this change that process for your customers and make that more efficient, effective, productive, whatever the right t term is there? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's almost a universal knowledge that it takes 12 years and 2.7 billion billion with a B to develop a, a novel therapy. And uh, uh, I guess given the increasing inflation rate and labor and everything is going to be even more than just loose change <laughs> for big pharma and medtech. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, clinical trial is so difficult and so hard is that um, the tribal knowledge and uh, institutional knowledge go to the person who designed the clinical trials. Mm. And uh, what we can provide, again, we have the, the largest global training set. So if a, a physician in the U.S., they want to work on, say, ophthalmology device, uh, device or some, uh, some disease, they can very quickly, within a few clicks, to see all the global summary of clinical trial done in this way and how do they design their clinical trial, what has worked in the past. And uh, we we have all the summaries of, you know, uh, completed trials and also failure trials. Failure trials is so valuable mm. because you may be able to learn from someone's success, but you can definitely avoid, avoid someone's mistakes. So uh, if uh, a clinical trial failed to meet certain endpoint, which means the result of the clinical trial. Then when I, as a new person, start to design my clinical trial, I can see, okay, what has been missed in the past so I can avoid uh, making the same mistake. So that's from a strategic level, from initial research level. And second, from operation level, uh, more than 20 to 30% of the clinical trials in the U.S. don't recruit patients at all. Mm. And uh, almost 80% of the clinical trials in the U.S. never roll on time, which means that the 20 to 30% uh, of the facility is just there. They have the medicine, they have the nurse, they have everything set up, but there's no patient to enroll mm. this clinical trial. That's, that's pure loss on the, on, the, like, uh, 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 on the financial sheets for any companies. So... Uh, our solution also summarizes the performance of facilities and performance of uh, physicians who have mm. prior experience. So there's no guarantee that someone has successfully completed an oncology clinical trial is going to continue to be successful. But at least the the probability of success is uh, uh, is much higher. So that mm. is uh, from an operation layer can also is where our solution can also help company to uh, uh, optimize their clinical trials. Hmm. I, I was a few weeks ago. I had a guest on that, and we were talking a lot about data automation. And and um, and one of the things he brought out, and I hadn't really thought of it, and now talking to you, it sort of comes out the same way in my mind. Is that you know in the past we had analytics and business intelligence tools, and they're very rules based and you know, dashboards and that sort of thing. And it's very structured, but it 
but it leads you only in the direction that you already have planned, right? You don't have the opportunity to be more open and, and interact with the data. And, mm -hmm. and I, 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 more and more, I think um, that capability to interact with the data in a natural way is where an awful lot of the value is in, in the systems because it changes analytics into an interactive uh, experience in real time versus that sort of historical perspective. Does that, in this context, does that make sense to you? I mean, it, it seems like that's a real value inside of what you guys are doing uh, is that capability of like, you, you know, just like you're, you said, it, there's a doctor who's been successful in a certain area is more likely to be successful versus one who doesn't have that experience or had a bad experience. I mean, that's a simple thing, but that probably is really valuable. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, when it comes to data, uh, trying to understand your question or your comments, the the data automation lead to analytics that uh, that is no longer rule based, which make the yeah. uh, the brainstorming the discovery more interactive, mm -hmm. and uh, it's uh, uh, which is also unprecedented in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah I. That... Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. I mean, I think, and and that's, you know, it's like the, the idea of how do you transform unstructured data into something that's actionable and doing it in a way that's natural versus forcing the, forcing data into a dashboard that presents it only in a specific way, which seems to me like would really limit your capability to do that brainstorming or to do that um, interaction with the data where the value really might be, but you don't really know that ahead of time, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, we have run into a situation like this. So we were just uh, uh, having conversation with another European, uh, one of the leading European notified body. And uh, because we aggregate all the global adverse event mm. previously, uh, because the adverse event data is set in such a rudimentary way, you have to like research. OK, I want to see, say, Pfizer, Medtronic and other companies like adverse event of this particular product. So you have to know, you already have a bias built in when you go down the path of uh, exploration. Uh, mm. to see, like, you, you have to know what you are looking for in order to look for. What if like, you have all the data and generative AI, they can summarize it for you in a way that you haven't uh, been experienced before. So when we present our solution to uh, this notified body, they were like, wow, you just finished your, um, you know, we have been doing this for 20 years in an old way. It's like, uh, uh, Michael, you're on the East Coast. Like uh, previously, people are used to drive their cars all the way from East Coast to Palo Alto, to Silicon Valley. Now they can just, you know, get on like a, 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 like a driverless car by Tesla or mm -hmm. even just like a, get on uh, a driverless plane and uh, transport to Silicon Valley. It's just a totally different way of, uh, of looking at the data. And mm -hmm. uh, we also, right now the technology is so ahead of uh, not only not only with the use case, but also with the 
uh, adaption curve of a tech adaption palette for the mm. industry. I think that at least from my experience, when we we constantly have five to nine inbound calls from one person startup, biotech startup to like multinational corporations, mm. they are constantly got the emotional or psychological shock that the things that they used to do, like the dashboard has been existing for 20 years or 30 years. And now they just need to have a conversation with mm. a bot and the bot can write them a beautiful summary, uh, a report, and even uh, mm. a, uh, like a PowerPoint. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so it puts everything together and then displays it in a way that's digestible too. Yeah. And uh, at the time and speeds that no human <coughs> bodies are capable. Well, that, that kind of relates back to something you were talking about earlier that I, I am a little curious about because I, I also hadn't thought about this in this context. That's this idea of competitive analysis uh, in, you know, applying generative AI for competitive analysis, especially in a field that's so uh, complex and, and technical as, you know, as life sciences, um, taking that ability to summarize and help make sense of um, data and then finding those specifics of what is a competitor versus what isn't, how that could actually inform your decision process as you're thinking about how you structure and what direction you go with your product. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, very different. Uh, I've mm -hmm. seen that actually. I think I've seen uh, bigger company taking advantage of this opportunity, and some of mm -hmm. them are even trying to train their own generative AI model based on huge volume of data. If mm -hmm. you think of this way, if you look at the industry this way, Michael, like the the Pfizer's and Medtronic of the world, they have, like Merck has been around for 130 years. That's 130 years worth of data, mm -hmm. clinical trial, patient information, any mm -hmm. big, biopharma company and medical device company could be a data company and AI company in the future. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that again, that's that volume of data from all of that um, historical information and the ability then to take that and make some sense out of it. That's a, that's actually really, um, it must be really exciting and, and obvious when you talk to companies like that, how they could actually apply this in a, in a very different way. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious about the, the future then. So I, I mean, I see the depth of um, vertical focus, and I think that's really uh, exciting. But but where does this go? I mean, what do you think over you know some period of time into the future? Let's project a little bit. What do you think uh, the impact of generative AI is, and how it evolves in in life sciences over you know the next five ten years? Yeah, uh, that's uh, uh hmm. I think uh, Bill Gates once said people tend to overestimate what you can achieve in like five days versus what you can achieve in five years. Yeah. Um, so first, the generative AI for life science is no longer just a buzzword. People are yeah. uh, proactively adopting those technologies and tools and uh, softwares either in their sorry apps uh, in their real life. And mm. second, um, I do see a change 
in the form of organization. It ties to your previous question, why clinical trial is so complicated? Why like drug discovery is so expensive? Part of it is that they are just sheer volume of information. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, dropout from Stanford, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old prodigy could code just as good as some like PhDs in right. uh, CS. But a doctor with 20 years of clinical practice is fundamentally different from a fresh graduate from right. medical school because the industry requires so much institutional knowledge and mm. expertise that to some degree slows down the innovation curve. Mm. Uh, with generative AI, what it really provides for the industry is a speed, unprecedented speed mm. to digest and make sense of huge volume of unstructured data that human brains previously could not achieve. Yeah. I think it will it will change how the organization looks. Maybe in the future, um, customer success or like customer support for drugs and medical device will be uh, upgraded to um, a chatbot, and then there will be new jobs created, new mm. roles created by generative AI in life yeah. science. Yeah. I mean, that, and we see that in other industries too. The more you can build out the, the in customer support's a great example, right? You you have an assistant that that can either solve problems, which is great, right? So you can can end some uh, interactions with customers in a positive way very quickly because they have access to all the data, and then they also have the capability to make your customer service agent able to deal with more complicated um, issues that do need human interaction, but they can still provide them that data access. That's, that's really interesting. And it, and it makes a lot of sense in this context too, because of the complexity. Yeah. 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 Well, so we're running out of time, although this is really interesting. I could, uh, I could keep going, but I guess uh, <clears throat> at some point we probably have to uh, give the audience a break. So uh, I, the one thing I always ask um, at the end of the interview though, and I, I, I would love to hear, you know, your recommendation on, you know, someone that the audience could, um, you know, research, listen to read a thought leader, somebody in this field that you think is really, um, you know, educational and could really help people understand more about generative AI and how it's being applied to business. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually have two recommendations. Now you primed my brain. One is my Stanford professor, Andrew Ning, and uh, what differentiated him from all the other top researchers in AI field is that he he's so far the only researcher that I've known that can convert very complex, very technical concept into layman terms and mm -hmm. use very vivid stories that you can relate to the technical change. And the second one is Kai-Fu Lee, and he came from Google and he's become a venture capitalist and become an entrepreneur. What he can, what is unique about him, he's like, uh, he can tell a fascinating AI story in almost a science fiction context, which is very intriguing at the yeah. same time 
deliver uh, behind the facade of like science fiction stories, which is very intriguing and vivid. He delivers the impact, the value for the business. I mean, that, that's, those are great recommendations. And entering, actually, I, I read a good bit of his stuff, and I think he's, you know, extremely um, interesting. And the, the idea that um, I think this is something that's really important today, the idea of taking um, this technology and translating it into business terms so that people can understand, consume, you know, actually be able to apply it. So that's, that's great. Thank you. Um, and, and Michelle, thanks so much for joining today. Really interesting conversation. I, and, and I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Michael, for having me. And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out the arianresearch.com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.